Welcome to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. This week we take a break from our series on the Lord's Prayer, and we're led to consider Luke chapter 10 and what it means to be a good neighbor with our friend Ron Ziegler. Ron is a ministry partner of our church and works with Ministry to State. Ministry to State engages public servants in their different spheres with the universal truth of the gospel, recognizing the plurality of beliefs and doubts in our culture and considering them in light of the story of historic Christianity. He does this right here in our capital here in Harrisburg. We hope you're blessed by this message. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty, the wonder, the joy it is to know that you are our Heavenly Father and that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is our precious Savior. That he teaches us by your Spirit that we can know you, that we can know your love, that we are guided and directed by your Spirit to that which is right and true, that you have revealed your will in your Word, that we can know it. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak into our hearts this morning, that you would guide and strengthen us, that we would hear well what you have to say to us, and you would do with us as you see fit, that you would change us in whatever way is needed. You would bind up our broken hearts. You would unleash us into this world with your love and to speak your truth. We thank you and praise you in the beautiful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. In much of Jesus' earthly ministry, he was challenged in his authority and as to his identity. He was popular among the common people, but the Jewish leaders, threatened by their, his popularity, took various opportunities to challenge Jesus by trying to trap him in his words and hopefully turn the people against him. But Jesus always had the right answer for all to hear, even when he was asked the wrong question. Jesus uses this parable as he has used other parables to make a significant point and expose the sin in our, our hearts as we are challenged with our preconceived ideas about God, ourselves, and how we are to live in light of God's glory. Two questions are in play here. What shall we do to inherit eternal life? And who is my neighbor? Let's begin by considering the first question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a good question for each of us to consider and a reasonable one for the lawyer to ask. But in this case, why is this lawyer asking this question? We learn that it really is not a question to which he truly wants an answer. Because he wants to inherit eternal life and thinks Jesus can correctly instruct him. Rather, we are told that he is trying to put Jesus to the test to be able to find fault with Jesus. This same type of questioning has happened to Jesus on a variety of occasions. One such time is recorded for us in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent their disciples to Jesus, along with a Herodian saying, 
Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. Can you hear the cynicism in their voice? And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax, and they brought Jesus a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left Jesus and went away. Likewise, in this situation, Jesus turns the question back on the lawyer and asks him, what is written in the law? Imagine Jesus asking any one of us that question. What is written in the law? How would we respond? Can this fellow answer his own question? Listen to his biblically accurate answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This comes directly from God's Word as we find in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. For you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And on your gates. And also in Leviticus 19 verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Can anyone really argue with or question the truth of this man's answer? If some could gain eternal life by their works, these certainly are the things that each of us need to do. This is like the encounter Jesus had with a man often called the rich young ruler as recorded in Matthew 19, verses 16 and following, who came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus answered him by saying, If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. The man responded by asking, Which ones? To which Jesus answered, Do not murder, which is the sixth commandment. Do not commit adultery, which is the seventh. Do not steal, which is the eighth. Do not give false testimony, which is the ninth. Honor your father and mother, which is the fifth. And love your neighbor as yourself, the second greatest commandment. To this, the man amazingly responds by saying, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus answers him with this penetrating reality and truth. 
going right to the heart of the man's devotion, saying, if you want to be perfect, go, sell all your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. The man went away sad because he had great wealth. This man who thought he had kept the commandments, actually when confronted with keeping just the very first commandment, you shall have no other God before me, is exposed as not having kept even that first one. What he cherished most was his material wealth, not the priceless gift of knowing, loving, and honoring God in Jesus Christ. Jesus followed this statement with what is now a rather famous Bible verse. I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus' disciples were perplexed by what they witnessed and heard. And so they asked Jesus, Who then can be saved? Which is much like the question in the passage before us today. To which Jesus profoundly answered, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We should hear this loud and clear from Jesus and humbly ask God to make it penetrate deep into our inner being, never to be lost. That salvation and peace with God is not something any of us can accomplish in and of our own strength. It is utterly impossible for us. Yet in His mercy and love, Jesus clearly states it here that salvation and peace with God is only possible with God and by God. I find it interesting that this lawyer in our text today does not ask for any clarification about the first part of his answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and all of your mind. He doesn't ask any questions about that. We might think that's the most important thing to ask about. Do you find that as interesting as well? What could be going on in his mind that he completely ignores all that has to do with loving God? It's as if he thinks he has complete understanding about loving God and needs no further instruction about what it means to fully love and serve God. It seems to me that he is like, much like the rich young ruler and like us at times. We do not have a consistent, clear, and full understanding of how holy God is and of how desperately wicked we are in and of ourselves. We may fool ourselves in thinking we really know how to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength and with all of our mind. I believe this question deserves a clear answer that is good for each of us to consistently keep in front of us. Like in the Old Testament instruction, to keep it here in between our eyes on the doorposts, wherever we are traveling, wherever we are going, with whomever we are, that we keep this reality right in front of us. Sometimes I describe it as just keep it in your pocket so you always know 
and can quickly find it. Jesus said it this way as recorded in John 17, 1 through 4. Jesus looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. In the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus, we have it described this way in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all people. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So instead of asking about all that we just examined on how to inherit eternal life, the lawyer simply asks for clarification on who is his neighbor. All we know of his motivation is that was to test Jesus. But it may also have been a way for this man to avoid the clear teaching of God's Word given to us through the ages. Without any hesitation, Jesus takes this lawyer's question, no matter his motive, and sets us all straight as to who is our neighbor by telling this short but simple parable. Who is our neighbor? Jesus replied, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now a priest was going down that road, and when he saw the hurt man, he passed by on the other side. Here we have a holy man of God in this story is a person a Jewish audience would likely think to be the guy who surely would stop and care for this man in distress. But this is not how Jesus is telling it. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the hurt man, he passed by on the other side. Again, a man who is an assistant to a priest is even more unwilling to help so much that he moves to the other side of the road to pass by the injured man and not stop to help him. We could try and speculate about the reasons these men did not stop to help. But the real point is that Jesus is telling this parable to teach us the truth. It does not matter why these two men did not stop. 
But the simple fact is that they did not stop and help the hurt man. Once again, Jesus turns the tables right side up on the lawyer, the crowd, and us. Moving us all in the right direction to make the hero of the story the one who is not an Israelite, but who is a member of a people group despised by the Jews. This presses the lawyer and us into a realm we are not as inclined to go on our own. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the injured man was, and when he saw the hurt man, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He then set the hurt man on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This Samaritan man went the full measure in caring for this injured man whose origin is unknown. And it seems to have not mattered to the Samaritan. He cared for the man himself and made provisions for his continued care when he needed to leave. He provides a great example for each of us on what it means to be a neighbor and to love one's neighbor as yourself. Let me take a brief moment to tell a story from my childhood that has made a last impact on me. It provides a simple example from one's everyday life of who we are to see as our neighbor to love and show mercy to the glory of God. It's a story that touches deep to my heart, and every time I try to share it with others, um, it affects me. I'll try to get through it. As a young boy around eight years old, living in the small suburban borough of Sharmanstown, not too far from here, I saw a young woman who appeared odd and initially a bit scary to me. She would awkwardly pull her little cart of housewares door to door in our small neighborhood to sell. Her strange appearance and impeded speech made it hard for many of us to easily welcome this uninvited visitor, and we were too easily inclined to make fun of her. She strangely had to hold her one eyelid open with her hand in order to properly see her customers. One day when this lady came to knock on our front door, I watched my mom's encounter with her. From first to last, my mom was unaffected by this person's abnormalities, but greeted her with compassion and loving care. This lady visits to my mom. This lady greeted her. Let's see. Sorry. This lady returned several times while we lived there. During each of her visits, my mom made it a point to buy something from her, to show her compassion, to respect, and to wish her well upon her day. Much to my surprise, I eventually learned that this lady is Isabel, who some ten years earlier had for a short time been a patient from a mental hospital whom my mom cared for as a nurse. My mom had prepared her for surgery to deal with a tumor around her eye. God used this simple act of love of my mom 
for compassion and mercy for my dear Isabel, her dear Isabel, unaffected by her unpleasant appearance and awkward mannerisms, to make an early and lasting impression on me of how to love my neighbor as myself to the glory of God. So following his brief story, Jesus asked the lawyer for his thoughts on who is his neighbor. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer answered, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to the lawyer, you go and do likewise. It is valuable to note the lawyer's original question is not the same one that Jesus at the end, at the end of the story asked the lawyer. The lawyer had asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? But instead, Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Again, Jesus teaches what the student student needed to learn, not what the student thinks he needed to learn. The lawyer's feeble attempt to test Jesus by asking, who is my neighbor that I am to love as myself, leads him to better understand and be challenged on how to be that neighbor who is to love his neighbor as himself. Which of these proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The one who showed mercy. Go and do likewise. Even though it is not directly answered here in this passage, I believe the answer to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is still a valuable question for us to have answered here. In truth, everyone we meet is our neighbor, regardless of sex, social status, skin color, physical appearance, political affiliation, language, or whatever we could put there. Jesus calls each of his followers to be a good neighbor as described in this parable. To care for others as God deserves them to be treated. Please hear that again. God, we are to care for others as God deserves for them to be cared for. We know the golden rule that is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I think this even takes it a little bit further that we are to think of how we are to treat one another as unto the glory of God. Not what they deserve from our estimation, but what God deserves. Through ministry to state, the Presbyterian Church in America has called me to serve as the state capital minister for Pennsylvania. In an ever-increasing way, I have come to see each member of the state and house, of the state house and senate, along with their staff, as my neighbors, whom I am called to love as myself for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. By God's grace, I have come to see them not so much as Democrats or Republicans, but as people, people who are my neighbors in need of the loving touch of Jesus Christ through me. And the reality of truth of his truth by my words and actions.
and I have believed I have been given this calling. And part of that calling is to ask if you in this congregation as I travel around the state and I'm trying to ask and pray for every last believer in Pennsylvania to join me in putting some of your personal life focus as a good neighbor unto those serving in our civil government here in Harrisburg and in your own house and Senate districts. Would you consider joining me in seeing with new eyes the 203 members of our State House of Representatives and the 50 senators of our state senator as your need, state senate, as your neighbors needing your attention, needing your love, needing your concern, needing your personal care. The reality is that what each of us need most in this world and in the next is to be at peace with God and Jesus Christ. Not this or that law or this or that policy, but eternal fellowship and peace with God through the great and gracious work of Jesus Christ, taking upon Himself the sin of His people and mercifully placing His righteousness, righteousness upon His people through the power of the Holy Spirit unto the glory of God. I am seeking God's face for a great revival and reformation throughout the body of Christ in Pennsylvania that will manifest itself in an outpouring of showing God's love in Jesus Christ and speaking His truth to those serving in our civil government. As I close, I am using a well-known but always applicable first question and answer to the Heidelberg Catechism. As a wonderful declaration and reminder that Jesus Christ is the very best neighbor you could hope for, who is always good and caring to His beloved people of God. The question is, what is your only hope in this life? Only comfort in life and death. That I am not my own, but the long body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Because of that summary, so clearly stated of our relationship with God and Christ, therefore let us go and do likewise for the glory of God and Jesus Christ and for the furthering of His kingdom relying completely and fully upon the great and awesome work of Jesus Christ, accomplished for His people in love and mercy, and applied to His people by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be willing to expect great things from God and be willing to attempt great things for God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for your mercy and love. Thank you for giving us all that we need, all that we could ever hope for. And I ask that you would bless and keep us, that you would make your face to shine upon us and to be gracious unto us, 
that you'd lift up the light of your countenance upon us and you'd give us your peace in Jesus Christ unto your glory. I thank you both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.